Coming up on this episode of East Screen, West Screen, it's our 200th episode, and we're doing something a little bit different this time. I'm going to sit down and talk with some of the people who are continuing to do media work out there in the realm of talking about Hong Kong cinema and people who continue to inspire me and uh, keep me motivated to keep doing a podcast like this. So all of that and more coming up right after the break. This is East Screen, West Screen with Paul and Kevin, where if films were food, they'd be full of it. Hello and welcome to another episode of East Screen, West Screen. This is the show where we talk about film from Hong Kong to Hollywood and some other stuff in between. I'm your host, Paul Fox, and uh, we'll be talking with our regular news desk and co-host and uh, reviewer as well, Mr. Kevin Mon, in just a moment. But as I said, this is going to be a special episode. We're doing something a little bit different, and we're going to be talking to people we've had on the show before and people who've often, you know, tagged me to come on other shows as well, just to, you know, ha have a little bit of a discussion about uh, sort of the creative process for talking about films and, you know, creating content that's film-centric and some of the things that motivate people and how they got their start and where it led them and what their thoughts are on the future of either what they're doing or the future of Hong Kong cinema and other things that interest them in general. So all of that and more coming up right after this break. Hello, and we're back, and I'm very fortunate to be speaking with a person I've long admired and somebody whose work has, in many ways, paralleled and even outpaced my own. Um, we kind of, I guess we kind of started around the same time in terms of writing on the web. I, I'm not sure if it was during the web 1.0 or 1.5 phase, but I, you know, I can remember sites like GeoCities and things when I initially got started, and those things are... I guess they're still out there in some way, shape, or form, but uh, people don't visit them except to go back and have sort of a laugh and a sense of nostalgia. Uh, but we've kind of progressed through to the Web 2.0 era, and he's still going strong. Uh, his site is still up and still reviewing movies from time to time. He's also had the, um, the ability to take that writing and transgress it over into professional writing of sorts, um, writing for magazines and for film festivals and other film-related events, and so it's very, my very good pleasure to welcome back to the show once again, Mr. Ross Chen, a.k.a. Kozo of LoveHKFilm.com. Welcome, hey, sir. Hey, Dom. How are things in uh, in the Kozo world, as it might be called? In the Kozo world, well, you know, they, they, uh, they, they, they're much um, less uh, active than they used to be. Actually, you're wrong. We didn't get started at the same time. I started after you. Did you? Um, See, I, I kind of thought you had started before me. Well, I was writing about Hong Kong movies, but I was writing purely for myself. 
Okay. I did yeah. that for six years. I wrote purely for myself. Like, so I think uh, think you were technically writing longer than I did then. Um, yeah, but I was writing crap. Okay, so <laughs> no, it's it was it's all it's all crap. Okay, I remember. Um, Trust me, it was crap. I, I know. I, I, I read it sometimes. I'm like, my God. I went the back stuff and you see, the stuff you see online actually was edited from that crap. But even you know the stuff <laughs> online is crap from that time. I've so, gone back and looked at some of my early stuff and. You actually put out an offer, I think, both to myself and to friend of the show, Tim Youngs, to take our old sort of sites and put them over on your site as a kind of archive. And I dug mine out. I found the old files. And, you know, it's like still in frames. I could barely look at it because it's the the formatting of it is so old. But uh, I was looking at the writing. I'm like, oh, my God, this is terrible. I don't want anybody to see this. How could I ever put it up in the first place? But in terms of writing, I, I, I would like to get your thoughts on the development of writing as a craft, if, you know, if we could call it that. Because going back and looking, looking at some of your very early reviews, as I like to do from time to time, on your site, you, your reviews tended to be much shorter and more encapsulated. And over time, they've gotten to longer form and, you know, obviously a lot more detail, a lot more knowledgeable about different directors, different stars, and the context of relating them to more movies as you've you've seen more movies over time. Um, But what are your thoughts in terms of of the progression of that in sort of the web space Uh, and moving over into more professional forms of writing, be it at what you do, you know, what you did for your day job for a while or what you do for freelance stuff for magazines and for festivals? Hey, well, actually, you know, I, I don't, uh, I haven't really thought about it in terms of, you know, why it is the way it is now versus the way it was. And, you know, actually, there were times when I tried to tone it down and shorten it because it got really long at one point. And actually, I don't know if, if you noticed, but they are shorter than they used to be. You know, I used to average like somewhere between twelve and 1,400 words. And now I only hit that on rare occasions. And usually I try to keep it below 900. Um, it makes a difference. But um, in terms of why they're longer now, I think... In the beginning, I just wrote for myself, so I didn't feel the need to to fit any audience. I just wrote for myself. I was the only audience. That's because you know I wrote for like six years without putting it online. So that's why stuff could be only a paragraph or two or three at the most, because you know all the blanks could be filled in by me. I didn't have to justify my thoughts. I didn't have to to uh, even mention the title of the film if I wanted to. If I didn't want to, um, I could ref- refer to the actors. I mean, the characters by just the actor's name, which was a habit that I think a lot of people used to have in the old days, especially for a Hong Kong film. Um, well, for a lot of the old films, it didn't matter, right? Because yeah. Jackie Chan was always playing Jackie, right? And uh, yeah, you know, a, a yeah. lot of the actors and actresses would just go by their first name in some films. But then they wouldn't in a lot of others, and we would just shorthand it. It didn't matter. you know. We would just do it that way. I, I know what you're saying, but I, I'm sure you know what I mean. In every film, we would just say Andy is Andy, even though he wasn't Andy Lau in that right, film. Right. You just say Andy does this, Andy does that, and it's like Andy doesn't really. It's his character. What's his character's name? You know. So that that stuff I didn't care about back then. So if you you dig back, you'll find old reviews that still do that. I guess it's just you know at a certain point I realized people were actually reading it. It wasn't just me. You know, I, I only did like I I did very minimum efforts to publicize the site when it first came up in two thousand two. And then, you know, eventually I realized people were reading it because I got emails from people who, at the time, I admired and also wrote on the web. Um, you were one of them. Other people who, you know, some I still know, some I don't know. 
but you know, I just knew people were reading it, and so I, I felt that it had to to be more official, or it kind of had to speak to a bigger audience. So that's why the writing changed the way it did. And uh, in some ways, then I also had to like justify the style, like I had to justify the jokes, I had to justify the references. I can't just say things and expect my people to get it because you know, even though I get it, they may not. So that that also contributed to how it evolved. And one of the evolutions is yes, it has. I have shortened it. <laughs> That's more recently. So stuff doesn't, you know, stretch on six to eight paragraphs like it used to. I don't even know how I did that, to be honest. Um, I, but I, I do. It was a time before marriage and, and family, right? <laughs> no, actually, I started doing it before that. It had nothing to do with marriage and family. Mm. It was just because, uh, you know, I realized it was getting long-winded. And, uh, you know, and a lot of it was reading other people's writing and, and editing people who were writing from my side. I, I began... I began really, and also working at Yes Asia and like looking at people's writing there, I just became very hyper aware of all these problems. Like, you know, write a review, eight paragraphs of plot synopsis, two paragraphs of actual evaluation. It's like, this review should be three paragraphs long, max. Mm. You know, it shouldn't be eight paragraphs of, you know, of plot and two paragraphs. of. It's like, you're not, it's not your story to tell. Okay, so how do you fix that? You know, or if you're going to say stuff, you better back it up. Or, or where is this coming from, you know? And it's like, well, this is what I feel. It's like, I'm sorry. It's so far out of left field. You better find a way to justify it. Mm. And and so, you know, of course, if I, I'm not going to lecture people to write or how I think they should write. I better follow my own rules. So, yeah, I, I followed my own rules. So everything kind of kept changing. I don't know. It doesn't mean that the writing is good now. I may suck. That's people's opinion. You know, they can think it's, think it's good or whatever. I, I can't control that. I just have to try to do a good job and not just get it done. So do you think editing was beneficial? I mean, ed editing the work of other people beneficial to your own writing or was it Eventually, just yes. Eventually it was. In the beginning, I was really too nice to people when I edited their work. I used to like really just like write around problems and try to solve them quickly for them or like, you know, I, nowadays I just kill people's stuff because... I really learned how to read people's work. You know, that's a real trick. You have to learn how to read it to see what they're saying. A lot of people actually who probably even read my stuff don't actually really read it. They don't really see what it's saying. Um, not just because they don't necessarily get what I mean, but sometimes they don't even read it properly. Cause I'm like, it's right there. <laughs> the answer's right there. <laughs> you know, I don't know why you're asking me this question. It's, it's, it's in there, you know? So yeah, I, I, I learned a lot from it. And actually I, I currently have my stuff edited by someone outside. You know, just to have another pair of eyes. That's it. So I think it's really valuable. It improves the writing. Do you find that the the process that you go through for writing for your site um, is different in some way uh, when you write for uh, somebody outside and oh, you totally, know, doing totally. freelance? Because, you know, you follow their rules. You have to find out what they want. You know, what are they looking for? If it's a length issue, then you uh, abide by that. If it's a style issue, if, you know, they want you to, you know... Be less uh, silly if they want you to be more silly. I get that a lot. You know, people say be more silly for certain things. Try to find fun things. Don't don't be so serious. Other people are like, no, 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 no jokes. Or can you not be so negative? And usually I turn that job down. But, um, <laughs> but um, yeah, you, you have to follow their rules. They should have known what they signed up for when they called you in the <laughs> first place, right? 
Sometimes, yes. I, I, that happened once. Some people like emailed me and say, "Hey, we want to borrow your review for our, our, this this magazine because you know it, it's it's the only one we could find this movie, and we really want it to you know appear." And we're doing an article on this person who's in the film, and uh, you know, I think we can borrow it and we'll credit you and all this stuff. And I'm like, "That's great, but have you read the review? It's really negative." And they're like, "Oh yeah, wow. Okay, maybe not." And so that went down. That went, you know. Well, at least the, the window. some people ask permission. I mean, you've had the experience of people just. Lifting Swiping. stuff for verbatim, right, and and printing it. Well, you know, only on other websites and stuff, or torrent sites, or or. Uh, I, I, or I think you or adult well, video forums. Didn't one of your reviews get pulled and and printed on a on a uh, as a synopsis on a DVD? Well, that happens. Yeah, yeah, it was great. And that happened to like <laughs> the, the luckiest the, the luckiest man or something a Bosco Wong movie because it was totally negative and they used the plot synopsis. Actually, the, the trick then is to, uh, that's one reason why you write, I wrote, a, I, can, I write a certain style. Because that way, it's like, you can't just, if I like just wrote a very simple synopsis, the synopsis is very formal, and it's just very, you know, easily, if they can just take the excerpt and they can throw it on their DVD, that's one thing, you know? But if it, it's, it's done in a way where a style is evident or you do it with humor, uh, they can't steal it. Cause, or if they do, it makes them look stupid. <laughs> because then they have like, this this uh, plot synopsis is basically knocking the film. Actually, you know, even movies I like, I, I I kind of make fun of the plots, you know, in, in the description. And that's probably one of the styles of the of the uh, website, yeah. where you know you can throw little jokes into how you. Uh, it's like if it's an Andy Lau film, you have so many ways to make fun of it because Andy Lau is such a brand. You can just make fun of the brand while you're doing it, and you know, not just wait to the end and didn't just do like a a dry plot synopsis or, or like write it like you're writing a like a blurb for. A, a magazine. No, don't do it that way. You try to sneak that stuff in there. It makes it more entertaining to read. A, but B, yeah, if they copy it, it's going to look really stupid on the back of the box. But not so, not a complete deterrent, unfortunately. It's still, no, because the people happens. who borrow it, they, uh, they 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 can't read. So, yeah. but see, that's the best part. Then you have something on the back that's that totally makes fun of it. Like there's a the Malaysian version of a Korean comedy called uh, "Too Beautiful to Lie" or something. Yeah, "Too Beautiful to Lie." It's like they stole the whole first paragraph of my review and threw it on the back, which is great because it's like, you know, a whole huge pot synopsis. But the first line is cookie cutter romantic comedy. <laughs> and it's on the back. So it's, it's like they didn't know. Yeah. So so that they threw cookie cutter romantic comedy on the back. Yeah, way to sell your movie, guys. So I'm, I'm fine with them borrowing it then. Then the joke's on them. It's cool. Well, going forward, what are your thoughts on your own writing? I mean... Uh... You, you've come out and you've talked about how you are doing fewer updates just because of you know uh, life in general yeah. um, for the site, but you're still committed to when you do do updates, trying to be as current and and have as many reviews as as possible. And, you know, are you are you just more interested in the the freelance side of things now? No, not at all. Freelance, actually, I do it a lot of it out of responsibility. I do it just to keep current. I learn things when I do freelance, especially for festivals and stuff. I learn a lot by doing, uh, you know, their catalogs or uh, or whatever. I, you know, I learn about other types of films. You know, I, I get exposed to more. The, you know, I see screeners of movies I may not have seen otherwise. That's helpful. Mm. It gives me an idea of what's happening or what people are, are considering, you know, this is something worth seeing. Uh, even if I may disagree or agree or whatever, at least I, I know what's happening. Because I can't get out to film festivals as much as I used to. I can't just sample because I, I'm, you know, I have a family to take care of and, and a full and a day job. So you know, movies are not my life. I can't make them my life. I decided a while ago that I couldn't do it. I know some people do it, 
you know, the pursuit of film and writing about film and whatever, they make it their career, you know, in, in addition to all the side jobs they have to do to make a living. Mm. But um, I, I can't do it. So, um, you know, I, I don't know. I, I First of all, I don't even know if I could write professionally like some of these people. You know, would people want me to review, you know, for like, you know, a daily or a weekly well, but, but I mean, you I mean, are, I you are writing professionally. I mean, that that is one of the things that you do, right? I suppose not not a huge jump, maybe a jump in terms of the output, but I don't know. I mean, I, I I've never been actually officially hired to write film reviews for magazines mm -hmm. or or newspapers. It's never happened since I was like twenty, twenty one or twenty two when I used to write them. I guess like a, a quote unquote teenage reviewer for the uh, the San Jose Mercury News. I did that. For a while, you know, that was the only time where I was paid to write for a certain. Uh, um, I was I was actually paid to write film reviews. Uh, since then, no, and uh, you know, I, I I don't know, I don't know if people would want me to write film reviews. Um, so. So yeah, it's kind of a weird question. You're asking uh, if you know. I, I don't know if I could get that job if I applied. I don't know if anyone would accept me. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Um, maybe they would decide that I can't do it or I'm not good enough. They would look at the work and say, eh, you're not good enough. Or they'd say, your style sucks. And, you know, truthfully, obviously, and that's another part of it, I would actually have to modify my style to write for, depending on the magazine. Right. And, and, and actually, I, I kind of like writing the way I write. I, I, I enjoy it because it, it keeps it fun and it, it keeps it consistent right. with the website. And uh, sometimes there are some things that are shared and you'll see the writings differ slightly. It's like some stuff I wrote for like uh, the Far East Film Festival I shared on the website, you know, and they know, and usually it's it's disclosed somewhere on the page. And if you read it, you'll notice that yeah, I, it's written in in a different way. You know, I, I don't I'm not as informal. I write a little form more formally, um, fewer jokes, uh, less uh, calling of attention to convention. You know, in in a way where you know I make it aware that yes, this this happens all the time. We know it does. Or this is like a concession you make because you're making a film and it's a business thing. Now, that stuff always enters into the discussion of film in, in the, one of my reviews. But I don't do that for a, uh, you know, I don't excuse it like, well, yeah, come on. You know, they, they had to do this. They needed to make money. So that's why they, they cast this horrible actor who is huge box office. You know, you, it's something that you can like kind of joke about. Um, or, uh, yeah, this guy's the producer's son. You know, so that's why he's in this film. And, um, and you know. So yeah, his acting sucks, but come on, yeah, they had they had to put him in, no choice. Um, you can't put that in a festival thing, so or 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 in a paper necessarily, unless the paper allows it. In which case, I'm sure that the publicists will call and say, "What the hell? You're not getting an interview next week." So, um, yeah, uh, I don't I don't know if uh, it would work. And it, it, truthfully, in some ways, and especially when it comes to Hong Kong film, I would rather uh, the work go on my website right. at this point. I would rather it all get collected together. I don't know what's going to happen one day, if it's going to get archived somewhere, thrown into a big book or whatever. Uh, I don't know what's going to happen. But I think it all should be together at this point and all be somewhat consistent. And I would rather write Hong Kong film reviews for the website than for any other uh, entity. I don't care if more people read it or if it gets me a, a credit with, like, you know, uh, HK Magazine or whoever, you know? At this point, you know, I, I, I do it to... To satisfy, you know, what I want, and hopefully what the people who like the site want. You know, I, I 
people don't complain, you know. So I, I'm hoping you know they're okay with it. But but yeah, I, I in some ways I, I don't think it makes sense for me at this point to try to write professionally mm. about film, especially reviews. And other things are like film catalogs and whatever. That's fine. But like reviews, that's it's probably not it because. You know, I, like I said, it, it makes more sense for me to write for the site, and uh, and I, th- I think you know, I think the work is more representative that way. So I, I'll just continue to do it that way until I can't. Right. You know, but but like you said, yeah, I, I like the time now. I have a family, and uh, you know, things may get more tight. In which case, the you know, the site has to pay eventually, which is sad, but. It's life. It's not like there's any shortage of people writing about movies online. Right. Mm-hmm. So building off that last point, um, oh. let's let's assume there's a young, you know, uh, fresh-faced, just out of high school, um, you know, kid, boy or girl, you know, take your pick, loves, as has discovered Asian cinema, loves Asian cinema, wants to write about Asian cinema. Um, what would be your advice to them? You know, how, how, if, they, if they look at you and say, I want to do, you know, I, I want to write like you. I want to do well, the kind well, of stuff that you're doing. What would well, be your advice? Of, well, first of all, you don't want to write like me. You want to write like yourself. Right. That's A, you know. And, and, and B, you know, everyone does it for different reasons, like I said. I, I don't think anyone's going to want to do it for, for the reasons that I do it, you know, where... It's like at this point, I almost don't want to write for a. I don't want to write for for a platform with greater uh, with 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 greater reach necessarily, but maybe more exposure. I mean, from maybe more personal exposure. Other people, um, they want to be re- their work to be published in as many places as possible. So, if you're asking, you know, I'd have to. I don't think anyone would want that, you know to put together a complete collection of reviews simply for the sake of doing it so that they're all together. Instead, they want other things. They'd want, like, you know, two or three here, four or five there, and get their name in more places. So, you know, if they want to do that, I don't have much advice for them. In terms of writing about Asian film, especially if you're not Asian or, you know, can't, don't know the language, I mean, that's actually the direction I would say I'd come at it from. You know, I, I understand the culture to a certain extent because I, I am Asian, but I don't speak the language. And also, my parents are Taiwanese. They're not Chinese. Hong Kong. They're not Chinese. You know, sorry, people. <laughs> I, I made a political division there. You know, my apologies. You can, uh, you, you, can, you can ban me from appearing in your films. But, um, but yeah, um, I would approach it from that direction and say that, you know, if you don't understand the culture, then you, you have to you have to you have to humble yourself to it you have to humble yourself to this this cinema and this culture that you're writing about and it's something that does occur sometimes and it infuriates me when i see it but you know i hold my tongue nowadays cuz getting mentioning it nowadays doesn't get you anywhere mm-hmm. but you know i think you know what i mean yeah you have a film reviewer in english who writes about an asian film and you can you can clearly see the attitude it's like this is is crap compared to hollywood you know they're looking down their nose at it it's like you know it's you know sure i looked down my nose at certain things i looked down my nose at you know the lang kwai fong movies and um (laughs) and uh certain wong jing films especially sequels of really bad ones um 
but it, but this is within the culture itself. It's not because I'm comparing it to, uh, you know, um, Hangover or um, or Captain America or whatever. You know, I'm not comparing it to those things. I'm not I'm not slumming. Right. You know, and, and that's the thing. I think some people still think they're slumming when they're looking at certain cinemas, uh, especially not local ones. I mean, and not I mean not not Western ones. They still view it as slumming, and and that's something you gotta. I, I hate to use the term, but you, you have to check that. You know, you have to check that uh, whatever it is. Check that bias. Um, that's really important. You you know, the bias is there, even unconsciously, it can be. And you know, I'm not saying it was or was not there for me. Who knows? But I really I really tried to check it for a long period of time. And there are probably times where I don't. You can see in the certain reviews that you know I'm not perfect. I'm sure it comes out somewhere that I, I, I didn't check it properly. But you have to check it. You have to you have to think about why are they doing this? Why are they making this film? Who's watching it? Who is it for? You know, it's not necessarily for you. That's one thing you have to know. It's not necessarily for you. If they didn't make this film for you. Then then what? Do, who, who are they making it for? And why, why are they making it? Does it serve a purpose that it's intended to serve? You know. Some films have no purpose. They're just like one-offs to fulfill a contractual obligation and, and get something to a release slot. Yeah, you, you can be a little less... Uh, less. Uh, you don't have to think as much for those. But other films, you know, there is an intention. Right. You know? And you should try to be conscious of that intention. Um, not just think about what you're getting from it. Well, there you have it, folks. Some very excellent advice from the webmaster of lovehkfilm.com. Please stop by his site, check out the reviews. Um, other places they can find out what you're doing, um, what you're publishing, what you're up to. Oh, not really. <laughs> well, you're on. You've got a Facebook group, right? And uh, I think yeah, but I seldom think, write on it. I think uh, you're on uh, Twitter as well. Yeah, but I seldom tweet anymore. <laughs> Twitter's a trash <laughs> unless, fire. Unless the Warriors are playing, right? <laughs> yeah, you know, because you know, then you know, it's cool with me. Then I, I, I'm okay to be a fan at that moment, and you know, because. I keep it in perspective. I don't just sit there and trash the other team and say, you know, losers and whatever. You know, I, I, I don't do that. I, I do root, but, you know. And even then, I don't tweet that much. <laughs> All right. Well, thank oh. you, sir, for stopping by and taking the time out to talk with us. And, again, we will look forward to having you on to talk more about uh, actual movies uh, from time to time on a future show. Yeah, it would show. be good. Yeah. I, I, I hope to do that, you know, to catch up with you guys and... Uh, and um, and do more East Screen, West Screen. That would be, uh, I think, uh, that would be really cool. I'm very happy and pleased to be joined this time by none other than Mr. Tim Youngs, who I guess we would say is sort of the grandfather to us all, because I think you had a site up 
before uh, many of us did. I, I think I know your site predates mine, and Ross was telling me that my site predated his, my old site, which is uh, now gone by the wayside and archived. But you were out there long before anybody was really um, on the ground in Hong Kong talking about Hong Kong films, right? Well, in Hong Kong, yeah, but I, I, there were other things as well before that, like um, you know, the precursor to the Hong Kong Movie Database, for example. Right. Uh, Hong Kong Cinema, I think it was called. Yeah, and I, I, I think we may have talked about this before. I remember there was a, another database that I used to use quite actively when I was still living in Florida, and it was out of Canada, and it was a database that was used for sales, Right, uh-huh. and so I would go visit their site, and you could look up what they had by the actor, by the title, by the director, and they had all these, you know, all the links were working, and it was such a great resource. And then they closed it down, and I, I remember I sent an email to the site saying, "Look, can I buy your database? Would you sell it to me?" And they actually wrote me back, and they said, "Well, you know, it's kind of a partnership thing," and. The guy who was emailing back said, you know, he'd have to talk to his partner and they never got back to me. So I guess they didn't want to do it. But, you know, it's one of those things where it's just gone, right? It's yeah, they just took it down and it no longer exists. But fortunately, we do have sites like um, Hong Kong Movie Database and, of course, uh, Ross's site, lovehkfilm.com to, you know, and keep us informed of what has come before and what is coming now and hopefully what will be coming in the future. What got you sort of motivated to start your site originally, which was, um, for those who may not be aware, it was, I think it was uh, another Hong Kong, Kong movie, movie page, page, right? That yeah, was the yeah. actual title. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it was, well, I mean, again, that, that's another because the, the title had the another because there were others around, of course. Um, and this I, is I, this I, is like during the web kind of 1.0 era, right? The area of ge- GeoCities and stuff like that? Yes, it was um, ni- 1997. Yeah. And um, I had actually been in Australia before that uh, studying, and then I came back to Hong Kong and started working here and just seeing as much as I could. And around then, um, I, I write small reviews. So I don't think they were very good if I look back at them now. And I ended up just putting them up on the site. Originally, the, the I mean, actually for pretty much the whole time, the layout was pretty awful and i just was dumping my reviews up there um and the reviews tended to get longer and longer over time um and then unfortunately the whole thing kind of (laughs) fell apart because i just became so busy and with with so much of my day job work i remember one i think one because i used to go back to your site from time to time and like one of the last, well, I don't know if it was the absolute last entry that you did, but one of the last entries was actually a, a photograph of one of the painted movie poster billboards. Yeah. And you used to, used to um, put up images of those. And I don't think anybody does those anymore, right? There's no... The, um, the, peop- the people are still around. Um, the film archive every now and then taps uh, old billboard artists for exhibitions. Right. So there'll be uh, these billboards uh, put up on the walls, and they they they've done in exactly the same style. Uh, I think the Sunbeam was in North Point was the last cinema to be doing it. Yeah, yeah I that was the other thing that I liked doing on the site and uh, going around and taking photos of billboards and putting them up with the reviews. Um, actually, I, I still have a large stock of those pictures and. 
I've also given copies of all of them to the Hong Kong Film Archive. Mm, that's good. That's good. I was going to say you could do maybe like a, a Paul Fonaroff style book where you publish all those because I think people would be interested to see a lot of those, right? Cause oh, yeah. Just, that, that kind of thing. I mean, I've, I've seen a documentary or two on RTHK, you know, looking at, interviewing some of those old artists and them basically saying, you know, the kids today, they're just not interested in that. There's not a lot of money in it. Um, so it's not something they're willing to take the time and effort to learn. No, no. And of course, you, you, you saw at the time when you were doing your site too that these billboards were disappearing because people could just yeah. go off to a print shop and just run up really yeah. bad um, blow-ups of yeah. JPEGs. And this is um, the thing. I mean, we talked about this before, and we've mentioned the dynasty before. The dynasty has sort of this big marquee-style... Um, it has two of them. It has one like right way at the top of the building. What is it like a three or four story building? Yeah. And then it has one down at the ground level where it'll say, you know, uh, coming, you know, the, the, the coming soon or, or now playing. And it's like this huge marquee, but the stuff that they get is basically looks like they hired a kid or they had some kid go onto the internet on Google image search and take an existing poster or photo of, you know, people in the film and blow it up to about a thousand times the size and it just looks so terrible and so grainy um, yeah it's almost laughable uh some of the stuff but you know i guess that's just the way the culture changes right because yes you know everything's digital and online and people don't really take the time to look and, and appreciate those those old billboards and and to some extent even the posters although we do still get pretty active poster campaigns at the bus stops and uh, the subway, the MTR stations, and, and the train stations, they will sometimes have these really large um, poster advertisements if the film has a substantial marketing budget, I guess. Yeah, but I did like how with the hand-painted days, uh, the cinemas would do their own posters, so it would be up to the artist what to focus on, yeah, yeah. Um, what stars to focus on, or what mood to give in the uh, posters. So they would come up with a, their own entirely different color schemes from cinema to cinema for example mm -hmm. and it was really cool um one of the regrets i have is that i didn't take really high quality pictures um you know often the early pictures were just done on the point and shoot um but of course now when i look at the negatives they don't blow up very well at all right right um, well i mean this we, was kind of back in the 90s before we had um the the prevalence of really high quality digital cameras right so you must have been shooting a lot of it on film i'm guessing Oh yes, definitely. And I've got boxes of negatives, and, and I, I, yeah, I, I, I've scanned most of them, um, but I, yeah, they don't scan as well as I'd want them to. Yeah, yeah. But of course, at the time, I didn't really think of think of that. But of course, now uh, there, there's certainly a value in in those pictures, and they would have been better if, at the time, I'd really thought about you know investing in better, better gear. Mm. Anyway, still, I mean, it's it's nice to actually have the pictures on hand. Yeah, yeah, to be able to go back and, and kind of review. And it's really great, that, too, that you've passed many of those on to the, to the film archive. Yeah, and yeah. Maybe they'll, um, you know, they'll eventually do something with that as a kind of exhibition or something. That'd be nice. Yeah, I mean, they could, if, if they want, they can just tack pictures into anything, whether they're doing a book or whether they're doing an exhibition. Uh, it, it, it's, it's, it, there's actually some of my cinema stuff already in their lobby. Mm. Uh, when you go into the, the in the main entrance, there's a little exhibition with with things on the Queen's Theatre. Oh yes, the Queen's Theatre. I remember when that 
yes. closed its doors. Yeah, we, we went right at the end. Yeah, but we didn't see a local movie. What did we see? The I think we saw the Jet Li, Jason Statham movie, right? Wasn't it um, War or Assassin or something? Yes. Was the final showing. It, it was unfortunate they didn't have like a, a Wong Jing film or a, <laughs> something a little bit more localized. But Jet Li is you know pretty close, I guess. Yeah. Um, well, let's talk a little bit about what you've done, you know, post site, we might say. So you've, because you've still kept active um, on the fringes of the industry. You don't necessarily work directly in the industry, but you do work through film festivals. And I think you've done subtitle translation work before. Oh, yeah. Um, you've also, people may not know, but if um, you go out and you find the celestial version of um, Hong Kong Nocturne, right? You've done the uh, a commentary on there. Yes. Um, how how did how did that come about? How did you get tapped to do a commentary oh. for that film? Um, it, that was just really um, just instant. Uh, the films had been prepared for for video, and I I think right at the last minute they they wanted to do commentaries, and I was actually asked over lunch. I was at at a lunch uh, the day before, and someone said, "Hey, uh, do you want to do one?" Uh, it's Hong Kong Nocturne, and at, I had actually seen the film. Uh, you know, many of these films were sitting unseen for for a very long time, but I, I actually had seen Hong Kong Nocturne. Hong Kong Nocturne, so I said, "Yeah, yeah, I'll do it." And it was the next day. Mm. Oh, that fast! Wow, <laughs> it was. It, were we, like, we need a body in this chair, right? Yeah, now, right? yeah, yeah. And so I was put on it with Stefan Hand, and uh, I think they did actually. Yes, yes, he did. He was able to see it the day before. Wow. Yes, and then we did, did a very, very rushed commentary, and that was in the first. I think that was the first batch of yeah, of, like of short sure discs. Yeah. Basically, everyone was was moving very quickly. I, I would say it's probably not a highlight of the collection. Uh, my, the commentary is not a highlight of the collection. I mean, there, there are other people at the time who were probably a bit more prepared. Like in the Kung Fu side, you had people who were really, really into Kung Fu cinema and right. able to, to go off on tangents. Uh, in this case, we were, Stefan and I were talking about a film that had sat unseen for a really long time. And, you know, we were both really not understanding enough about the context um, but but that you know that's how it is. We only had a day, yeah. <laughs> only a day to prepare. Yeah. Well, 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 there you have it, folks. A little bit of a background insight into the the, the making of uh, DVD extras, right? And and perhaps why we don't get as many as we used to, which is unfortunate. Yeah. Um, so you've you've also gone on to uh, as I mentioned, you've um, worked in uh, film festivals. You're you're active with the Udine Far East Film Festival. Yes, yes. Um, how, you know, what about that? Uh, you know, first, I guess, how did you get into that? And then what about that uh, interests you to, to keep you, you know, engaged? Because it's not your day job, basically, right? It's, no, yeah. no. And, and frankly, with Hong Kong's cost of living, you can't, you can't really make a film festival job your full-time thing right. um i was i was asked I, I actually it was because of the website that i was noticed and um uh before me derek ellie was working on the program and uh stephen kremen was involved as well before i started i started in uh, 2001 
And so that would have been the fourth year of the film festival. Um, and I, w- I was asked to join as a Hong Kong consultant. They, they, the festival's different from, from other festivals because it actually has regional consultants. Um, there's somebody in you know, the, each of the major markets. In, in the case of the main, mainland, you actually have two people. Uh, so, for example, a name people might know is Darcy Packard. He's doing Korea. Mark Schilling does Japan. Um, and what each consultant do is, does is basically keep an eye on on film over the year. And um, you know, when it comes time to do the festival, you, you suggest films. And there's a central committee in, in Udine, which is in the north of Italy, and they ultimately decide on, on what to go for. And um, the focus is on popular cinema. And, of course, that, that's the thing that, that interests me because I'm not really big on the Hong Kong indie scene. Mm. Never never have been, unfortunately. Um, just not, not enough life there uh, compared to what can come out of the mainstream uh, Hong Kong cinema. So th- th- that's the focus, and it just involves seeing all the, all the recent films, and when it comes time to actually put together the festival, there's a lot of writing. Uh, some every now and then there's a a retrospective to handle. Uh, the retrospectives can be focused on Japanese cinema one year and another year that would be Hong Kong, uh, and that's been great. Uh, actually, that's that's been one of the things that has been really rewarding in the past, being able to do Choi Yun, for example, mm. and um, also Long Kong, Patrick Long Kong. Um, so th- that that's been also a great opportunity. Well, what do you think about uh, some of the changes that have happened since, you know, we would say the turn of the millennium to local cinema? We've seen a lot more of these self-labeled hybrid films, right, or, or mixed production films where you've got a lot of uh, mainland money. There's been a lot of debate about the changes, the, I guess, the loss of, of the quote-unquote local film, as it were. And one of the things that I've often thought about is in the context of Hong Kong cinema, I mean, if we go back to periods of films like Hong Kong Nocturne and and some of those others, those were for, you know, they were mainland films, right? I mean, obviously it was part of the the Shanghai Studio Cinema, um, but they were much more popular back in the day. They got bigger budgets, they were in Technicolor, whereas the Hong Kong Cantonese films of that era were seen as maybe a lower form, right? They weren't quite as respected. They were usually done in black and white. They didn't have quite the budgets. And we don't see that sort of shift to local cinema until the 70s, right? When you get people like Michael Hoy and and, um, House of 72 Tenants and more of a sense of local identity being placed into into Hong Kong cinema. Do you see this as a kind of cycle? I mean, because you've been around, you've experienced enough... um, to, to see and sense the changes, do you think that, um, or do you think that localization as a Hong, you know, in terms of a Hong Kong film identity is, is pretty much gone? No, well, okay, I, 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 I don't think it's a cycle. Um, Hong Kong cinema is really commercial and it's just a case of people jumping on bandwagons or sensing opportunity and, and really going for it uh, in a big way. Uh, Shaw Brothers, for example, was totally fine with pumping out uh, Mandarin language films in Hong Kong in through 
you know, through the late 60s, for example, when Hong Kong's Cantonese cinema was declining, uh, they could see the opportunities, uh, the business reasons for doing that, uh, whether it's uh, getting your films exhibited you know, further south or oh, whether it was uh, in Hong Kong, having your films p being perceived as a higher quality production, uh, which was the way Mandarin cinema was see seen uh, to, to a, a pretty big extent. Um, I think now the, the, it's, the cycle doesn't, it doesn't really show as a cycle because people are now looking to the mainland market as an entirely different thing. So you're seeing um, a decline in, you know, the, the, more traditional Cantonese cinema because they've moved on to a dip different, um, well, a different opportunity. Mm. Um, I'm, I'm, I have mixed feelings about the whole thing. Um, of course, I, like you, when, when, when you live in Hong Kong and you, you're surrounded by Cantonese culture, that's really what you want to see on the screen. Uh, or at least in my case, I, that's what I want to see. It's it's what yeah. what I I feel that I can relate to. Uh, so it, it's very important uh, to for me to keep having those films come out because that's the stuff that I really really enjoy. Mm. Um, when I was you know in the late 1990s and uh, you know, just past that before before the co-production thing really boomed. Um, Hong Kong cinema had this fantastic turnaround. Films would be made within a matter of weeks. They'd be pumped into cinemas. You could hop into the cinema and basically see current affairs on the screen. So you could see pop culture references. So it was so up to date. Uh, the, the cinema was really alive. And that's moved on now. Uh, films are made with longer lead times or if they're made for the mainland market, that stuff's just not important. And so that that's a bit of a shame. Uh, and of course... You know, purely straight Hong Kong productions are, are in decline. I mean, that, that's obvious. Um, but on the other hand, um, I'm not going to discount the mainland productions either because it's a lot of stuff of great value uh, that's coming out of that. In part, it's because these people are now working with fantastic budgets, for example. So really great entertainment like The Mermaid or Taking of Tiger Mountain. Uh, those films are coming out uh, because of this huge opportunity to make films with, with vast budgets and great entertainment. Uh, what's important is that they're offset at the cinemas by you know, smaller local productions that, that can give you something with a local feel. Uh, unfortunately, this year, it's not been a very good year for that. There was a nice surge at the start with films like Mob Fathers and Trivisa, uh, where you felt this really great, strong local feel. But then there's been a bit of a gap. Mm, things picked up again recently with the menu. Uh, and of course, Weeds on Fire, the baseball film, which is out right now. Um, I, I, those have a good local feel, but I, I would prefer a bit more of it. Mm. All right, so I guess we sort of wrap up our session. Uh, any chance of the movie site coming back in some way shape or form <laughs> i don't know I, I, we, we've talked about this before it, it, one of the things is I, I look back at that writing cringe a bit um, yes yeah i was saying, uh, this, I was saying the same thing because i was talking with ross chen about the early writing that we did and and he he's actually offered for both of us to take our stuff and archive it over on his site he said he yeah. would host it and i went back and i looked at my stuff and i was like no i don't want anybody to see this anymore it's terrible yeah. um 
Yeah. So, uh, but but I mean, do you ever I, get the urge to to do yes. that kind of writing again? Um, well, I do writing with the film festival, but of course, it, it's not really widely seen. Right. Um, and the occasional work job that comes around, but um, no, I, I I I actually wouldn't mind putting stuff back online again. To be honest, I mean, I, I do think of it, and mm. and sometimes I see something and think, oh, I really wanted to have, you know. Maybe, maybe I could have said something. Mm. Um, and the pictures in particular, I do actually want to put back up. And I've been, I've been investing, investigating um, gallery systems and things like that. that yeah, I think that would yeah, be very, uh, a very, very it, interesting thing. A lot of people would be interested yeah. in saying. And if I, if I was to do that, for example, I mean, you can, you can easily just incorporate the old reviews as well. So, I mean, that that's actually more of what I'm looking at. Um, I, I, I've... I mean, I'm tidying up the flat right now, and there's this box of negatives, and there's, you know, and I keep thinking, mm, no one's really looking at them, <laughs> and <laughs> no one's looking at those pictures, and, and so I, I, that that's the thing. I, I think I should really be getting them back up, and that that's if if one, well, hopefully, when I get around to that, then yes, I'd I'd like to pop some reviews back up again. Uh, you know, I mean, they. they're I mean, they're written, <laughs> but yeah, yeah, the, the cringe factor is, yes. is, is, is always there. Indeed. I understand completely. Yeah. Well, in the interim, um, maybe if you are a listener out there and you'd like to encounter some of Tim's work, of course, please do stop by the Hong Kong film archive. If you happen to be passing in Hong Kong, or if you possibly make it out to, I guess, next year's Udine Far East Film Festival, perhaps they will run into you there as well. Yes, and actually they they do a good job in archiving uh, reviews on, on their website. Uh, so text that I write for them is archived well online, which is which is good. They, they, that that I'll often I'll, I'll run a search for something and, and find my review <laughs> for for something when I, I want to jog my memory, and so that's that's nice. Uh, that they, they they keep stuff up there too. Now that's just fariesfilm.com. Right, there you have it, folks. A uh, big thanks to you, Tim, for coming on and chatting with us today on uh, this uh, 200th episode. And we do hope to have you back on in the future at some point uh, to talk more about actual films, right? Films that you've gone out and that you've seen and, and some of your thoughts. Yeah, that, that, that would be great.
And welcome back for this very special 200th episode. I am joined once again by somebody who has been a big inspiration to me in the podcast work that I do and continues to inspire with the work that he does, um, going from a single channel into a massive network of shows. And this, of course, is the Mr. Kenneth Broerson of the Podcast on Fire Network. Hello, sir. Welcome. Thank you for being here. Hey kids, I review pornography. <laughs> yes, and so much more, so much more. Um, yep. You you would not know it by his humble demeanor because he does uh, self-deprecate at times, but uh, he does indeed review pornography, but he also reviews a great deal of other, um, you know, media-based entertainment, a lot of it being centered in Asia. You have a, he has a, a Taiwan, you know, dedicated channel. He has one that mm-hmm. looks at Korea, that looks at Japan, a director's series. Of course, you've got the the sort of uh, original podcast on fire. You've spun that off to allow me to come on some of those shows and to start the Dynasty Report as well, looking at more recent fare. And you've now kind of gotten back into doing interviews as well, right? I mean, some of at the time of this recording, some of your more recent uh, releases include interviews with people like Brian Trenchard-Smith, Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, Hong Kong people recognize, of course, Richard Norton. So, you know, you're all over the place, sir. Uh, so. Yeah, it's a, it's easy psychology to sort of break down, right? <laughs> like I'm doing all of this to make up for uh, lacking in other areas. No, no, I'm just kidding. It's, uh, it's, it's, I, I go where my creative instincts sort of, uh, where, where I want to go creatively. I'm not forced to do anything, obviously. And, uh, I I like staying busy, and it's sort of uh, natural for me to partake in all these different avenues. It's not too much anything. The interviews thing was sort of a promise to myself to try challenge uh, and extend my creativity because it is different work. It's harder work because I try to put in research and create this uh, narrative um, so I can follow a person from you know a little bit beginning to current times uh, that was certainly true talking to these nice people like Brian Trenchard Smith uh, Richard Norton twice even because uh, Richard was kind enough to do a follow up chat and I wanted to plug his participation in uh, Suicide Squad he did fight coordination on it so uh, just uh, very very nice people at that uh, and it, it seems to be working I'm I'm um, I'm quite keen on doing more but it's a slow process uh, as with anything yeah but i have a couple of ideas and hopefully there'll be a couple of uh, interviews uh, per year so yeah thank thanks for that and congratulations on episode 200 i started talking about me but uh, obviously a huge congratulation to you for reaching 200 that's a milestone and a half buddy yeah that's what they say in podcasting years it's uh it's bears some relevance i don't know if it bears that you're over the hill or it's it's time to hang it up or or what it actually means but uh uh i wanted to have you on you had very gracious and pulling me on for your 200th episode and as i've mentioned multiple times when i started doing this yours was the only game in town talking about hong kong cinema and Mm. provided a very solid model and a basis for me to think about and to bounce off of and you know uh, dare I say, steal a few ideas in terms of format, oh, which one, hey, and, 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 like, and things over the years, um, and it's been great. Um, you know, it's it's, it, and I've mentioned this before. I think both on on your show and on this one, 
it's so nice to be able to get in a space, be it a virtual space or a physical space, and have conversations that are not the kind of conversations we see in, you know, uh, forum comment channels or Facebook mm -hmm. channels where things descend into anarchy and chaos and name calling and yeah. four letter words and things. And yeah, I've, I've always had the, um, uh, well, well, two things there. I, I always credit that Stuart Sutherland created Podcast on Fire and helped build the network. He, he was the creator of Japan on Fire, for instance, and he's doing his own thing now with films and swearing, his own podcast. So I'm just sort of uh, I'm continuing his work. Yeah, so I, I always like for him to have a big credit. But you're, you're right. I've never believed in um, as logical and rational as this sounds. And I know you are. And 99% of people out there are logical and rational. But movies, movie opinions are just opinions, man. And they're not, uh, you're not stating any definite fact just because you like or don't like a certain movie. And so I, I never want anyone to feel like it's uh, like bad form to dislike something, you know what I mean? Like Because your opinion is as valid as anything out there. And our chats... I always like to be for them to feel like inclu inclusive, right? Like everyone's welcome to, um, you know, chime in whether like they come on the podcast or on a discussion group. It's it's okay. I I always try to you know you read that on forums sometimes. Like I know this is a like uh, a little bit like um, a controversial opinion, and I always try to stop people. Like no, it isn't. Like as long as you aren't crappy to anyone who has a different opinion. Like there's nothing controversial about disliking something. Uh, uh, like I, I put up a post about The Shining a couple of days ago because I. I read. Uh, I listened to the book, right, and then I watched the Kubrick movie just for reference sake, and I didn't quite like it. And that's and, and you someone didn't like commented the book like, or the movie. I, I love the book. Did not like the movie. I thought mm. uh, the movie took some shortcuts that I wasn't personally a fan of. But that's exactly what it is. It's it's okay. It's so much okay. And uh, the key word is being inclusive. And um, so so we never argue on the show, right? Uh, we 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 often share same opinion kind of but uh, we I, I'd never wanted to dissolve into arguing now I might appear as a, a hypocrite because there are a couple of key movies out there in the world that just gets me going <laughs> and uh, one is a Jackie Chan movie called New Police Story which I think is uh, one of the most insulting movies I've ever watched from people who should know better and I still stand by that uh, but uh, I'd never start to like uh, try and school anyone and, and bring them over to my my dark side of uh, of opinions or anything but uh yeah. Do you have any mood out there that just gets you gets you like mm, grr, like what what are they thinking? Um yeah, I mean there's uh the, the, there's a couple um that I would turn to. I mean the the problem is is I think that everybody reads movies in different ways and what doesn't work for me may indeed work, you know, for 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 someone else. Um there's a there's a Steffi I think it's Steffi and Bosco Wong movie called uh, Love and Time mm -hmm. that uh, has an ending that just made me want to throw my coke at the screen. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so those you know those who've seen it uh, uh, will know uh, the ending of which I speak. And if you haven't seen it, I'm not going to spoil it for you. Uh, I will I will leave it to your uh, uh, you know to your own interest to go out and try and track that one down we did talk about it on i think i talked about it with kevin and he was kind of with me on on that uh, it's fine film up until the very last like you know 
what would it be like you know the 24 frames a second <laughs> so that's wow. like the very last 24 frames of the film and it's like what did you just do um, oh, yeah. yeah but um i mean for for me i mean there are films that i might not like that i can recognize as excellent films right so a film sure. like sure uh, dream home um which i don't think i could ever watch again but i think it's a it's a great piece of filmmaking right yeah um, totally totally it's a it's a gr- grueling uh tough watch i mean i, I reviewed it with um uh, uh, a lady friend of mine and uh, we were talking about the uh, scene with the pregnant lady and she said uh, she she loved the movie but she said that scene is just uh, too much for me to take in and she even said that she watched it at when she was pregnant with her child too yeah. like the first time whoa this is getting this is getting me in uh, this, like the emotions start flowing that way and that, that's understandable uh, and interesting too that the movie can be excellent but it's it's a one-time experience for a variety of reasons yeah so i mean i i, I find it hard even movies that are bad right uh, we recently recorded uh, at the time of this recording an episode uh covering the latest vegas to macau film together mm. and even something like that which we recognize as just not a good film I have a very, I, I feel guilty, you know, being really down on it because, I, you know, I know people worked hard on it, put in a lot of creative effort, and maybe I'm not getting as much out of it as I felt I should. But uh, I would... You're being I honest, would, man. You're, not, still, you're not putting down the I work. I would still tell not... people at the end of the day, don't take my word for it. Go yeah, and watch totally. it, you know. It's, totally. It's, That's true. That's um, true. It, it's always better when, for for me... When people are talking about a film, for me to go watch it myself so that I can be part of the conversation mm-hmm. rather than somebody telling me, okay, this is not a good film. Don't go see it at all, right? Um, Unless it's New Police Story. <laughs> yeah, well, then everybody the, should follow my recommendation. There, there, just, there you go. Um, so take that, Jackie Chan. Uh, <laughs> no. Where do, where do you think, though, I mean, in terms of you've been doing this for – a number of years, right? Um, so, yeah, 07, I think we started. Yeah. So, where do you th- where do you think Hong Kong cinema has gone in that time? I mean, you've been looking at it for this period, not not solely because you've again branched out into uh, Japan, Korean cinema. You've specialized with you know category three films and certain mm-hmm. directors. You've also gone to the to the very uh, what would be the proper term? Um, oddball? No, I wouldn't say oddball. The very uh, niche route, I guess, of things like the Golden Ninja films, right? Mm-hmm. With the uh, you know that have sort of a, a collective following of their own. But with regard to just Hong Kong cinema, where you kind of started out, it's been ten years. What do you think? I mean, has has the is it the case of the thrill is gone, or has have things changed for the better, for the worse? What's your take? Well, I I think all of that can be applied, but at the same time, I've not I've I've fallen out of I, I like I, I lack interest to follow it as much, which is not really due to the fact that aha because the quality has uh, has decreased. It's just I've I've lost sort of touch with uh, 
who is uh, you know hot now and what is the hot trend and I don't recognize as many people anymore and they, it, it, that doesn't mean there's lack of talent on display here so there's there's that but I I also if I'm being truly honest and this sound, may sound like very like an uneducated opinion the more we've had we've gone away from the Hong Kong film and more into the Hong Kong China film. I've felt that it's been less, it's not been as interesting, right? Like like the looking at movies beforehand and uh, what they're promising, it doesn't appeal to me as, as much anymore, especially when it comes to spectacle films, like special effects, spectacle films and big commercial films. There's a certain, movie language nowadays that uh, and this also applies to universal cinemas it's not purely Hong Kong there's a certain style in big movies nowadays that I don't know I'm, I'm getting older man I, I prefer things in a certain way and I'm not um, receptive to a certain style in movies like I give you a perfect example which might, might sound like the most daft thing you've ever heard on this podcast but whenever there's a shot in a, in a damn trailer or within the movie where and we're talking action here, right? Where something goes very slow and then space speeds up again. Mm. Like that, you see that oh, time and time again. And I'm just thinking it's part of a cool style that just doesn't appeal to me anymore. Like I'm all for excessive style. Like if you, if you think of movies like, again, it might be unrelated, but I just thought of it. Like a movie like Man on Fire, this Tony Scott movie, just a full on blast of excessive overindulgent style but i kind of think it's cool but there's a certain movie language that doesn't appeal to me today when it comes to commercial cinema i sort of tend to gravitate towards uh, you know smaller maybe crime movies i think johnny toll still does good work and uh, he challenges himself too so he doesn't do these empty special effects spectacles uh, necessarily but it, it, it's, it's a mixture of having lost interest in it i don't know who anyone is anymore and the style of movies that they make today necessarily isn't for me mm. uh, and and also interest lies elsewhere i like to explore in other areas of mostly older movies like i'm still exploring older hong kong movies i've not watched every jackie chan summer home movie out there i probably haven't watched every chow young fat movie there is out there or stephen chow so there's still stuff to explore through mainly the podcast and this uh you know even outside the podcast i'm a fan of it still to explore when it comes to you know horror cinema and exploitation and uh, things like that you're mario barba dario argento so i guess it's a mixture of all of that but i i do feel like like i i always enjoyed the more freer hong kong movie more and the more it went into business so to say with china where the commercial interest lies and i understand this is a commercial game kind of lost interest when it started losing its pure identity for lack of a better word like I, when there's a pure Hong Kong movie made I get more interested uh, Herman Yao often uh, echoes uh, these feelings uh, in me that feeling travels to me but I think as you as you said on one episode recently you're talking of the mob fathers or like a news piece that involved it during your discussion that it's um, making that kind of movie isn't necessarily what's going to make you uh, like, like get your uh, the box office impact um, like go like crossing over to China is where the box office lies nowadays and for me it just um, 
it feels a little bit more empty than it used to. But again, lots of this might sound very uneducated uh, as such. I'm willing to give, give a lot of things a chance, but I'm not, I'm not wild about a lot of things I see announced, let's just say that. Hmm. Do, you, do you feel like you've fully covered or saturated the, you know, the older films, the 80s and 90s, to a point to where it's harder to find something surprising, something that, you know, because as, as, if we look at the body of work of Hong Kong cinema in its heyday, um, going into the late 80s and to the early 90s, you know, there are titles that stand out above, you know, um, in terms of either comedies or action pieces or the, the you know, like the Tsui Hark fantasies, these kinds of things um, mm. that people will have covered, right, that you will have seen because they're like the first one, they're, they're the go-to films. And mm -hmm. so now it's like digging through the dozens and dozens that were copycats or that were not as notable that were one-time directors or things that did not have the A-list um, celebrities at times or were one-offs, right? Because people were mm -hmm. making, you know, some, in some cases 10, 12 films a year. Do you feel like you've reached a point of saturation with the older stuff to where now you're just like looking for that odd, you know, one that you can come across on eBay or, you know, uh, the, the odd one that's eluded you for a few years, but you've covered the 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 majority basis of the popular films you know the romancing stars and mm -hmm. the ghost stories and and uh, the the hard boiled and these kinds of things to a degree i'm sure uh, i've never really thought of it uh, because it seems like i always have something to look for so but but i'm sure that's true you know if you go by you know, uh, the Chinese fast filmography Stephen Chow Jackie Chan Sammo Hung like most of the stuff is uh, I've, I've dealt with uh, but I think because I've narrowed my focus a little bit I don't because it does on my website I try to focus on um, Hong Kong category 3 uh, Taiwanese movies of a certain kind not necessarily the art movies uh, I, I don't go for like the Edward Yang Ang Lee Hu Shashen movies I go for um, some some cheaper, more obscure, more exploitation style Taiwanese movies and special effects movies on Taiwan. Like you you you've experienced some of what I experienced with the chi children's fantasies yes. from Taiwan. That's a lot lot of fun. And so I guess um, th there's a little well there that I'm focusing on. But I, I think you're right. If I were to go on like a site now to shop for like let, let's get ten movies I haven't seen. I I'm sure there's it's not you you have to sort of go into the filmographies and see is there something I haven't seen like hello Andy Lau ooh Crocodile Hunter mm. <laughs> I haven't seen that well but but it isn't part of that um, uh, sort of uh, catalog of films that you encounter immediately once you start exploring so yeah but uh, it, it, I, 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 never, I never think about it as uh, like what am I going to do now like what if they run out or anything uh, maybe I do need to review one kawaii movies instead yeah. <laughs> That's very immature, I know, but hey, that's, well, that's make, what it is. Uh, I'm not, I'm not, I'm Dr. not. Doctor David Lamb, very happy, right? Like, I always say, I'm a big fan of Ashes of Time, then, and he's writing, he's writing for silly movies, but uh, then, uh, then the interest peters out for me personally. Like, mm -hmm. uh, give me a Chinese Odyssey 2002 kind of deal with Wong Kar Wai, mm -hmm. you know, because he, he he was behind that to a degree. That's fun. Yeah. Uh, but uh, but yeah, I've, I've um, 
it's uh, I'm sure it'll come to a point that where it's getting even more harder to find movies, but there's still so much to find that's still fairly available. The Shaw Brothers catalog I've touched upon quite to a distinct degree, but there's still stuff in there to uh, to explore. So, uh, do you have a uh, cutoff point in terms of how far back you go? Where you no, you, where not you really, find no. less enjoyment. I mean, no, would you not be, really. Would you I be mean, willing to go back to some of the 1960s black and white stuff, provided you could find it subtitled? I know a lot of that, a lot of the stuff pre 60s in terms of um, some of the earlier um, Cantonese language Hong Kong cinema, which was considered, a, I guess, a lower cinema in comparison with what they were doing with the Mandarin Shanghai uh, style films. A lot of that is very you, it, it, it exists. I've seen it in shops, but um, very often it's not subtitled because it's not yeah. considered as popular internationally. I guess um, I, I, I would love to, as long as I can relate to it, because I always like to have an understanding of context ever so slightly. I mean, I keep hearing the name. Is it Connie Chan? Mm-hmm. Right? Uh, if we're talking sixties, and I mean that that's totally unexplored for me. These kind of uh, you know, Black Rose movies, spy yeah. movies, the spy capers and what have you. And I think yeah, the lack of availability is uh, obviously something that's uh, a problem in that regard. But, I, you know, I'd love to. I mean, last year, uh, a friend of mine, uh, Sylvia Roram, she did uh, uh, new, her own subtitles for the first Buddha Palm movie mm. with uh, Walter Show. Uh, they did uh, like five or six of them or something like that. And I have a great interest in that because I love special effects tinted Hong Kong cinema of that kind with the energy balls coming out of your hands and what have you, you know, yeah. leading up to Sioux Warriors from the Magic Mountain and onwards. And it was told, I mean, it's a crew, it's a more crude basic cinema, of course. So it's not going to wow a new audience. But uh, I, if I can get a hold of it, then definitely I, I'd love to deepen my appreciation for it because if, if there's any decades that's just eluded me because of the lack of availability and subtitles. It is probably 60s and, well, backwards, if you will, because um, that, that, that's a cutoff point that I can't do anything, <laughs> can't do anything about right. currently. Like, right. I, 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 because I, I, I'm not a good, like, I can't study language very well. Like, I can't absorb language very well. So it's not like, well, I'll just learn Cantonese then. Like, it's just, it's difficult for me. No, so, you're, just, uh, you're, you're just writing and, and producing a podcast in a second language, but you can't handle language very well, can you? <laughs> well, well, you know what? I'll, I'll thank you, but I'll, I'll give you exactly the reason why English came easy to me. It was due to exposure of it, right? In Sweden, we uh, like stuff is dubbed, but still a lot of things is subtitled on TV. And the languages are similar enough in certain instances where you can sort of start to relate, okay, that word and that sentence and that sentence structure and that's how you talk. And so it was exposure because I was just glued to the effing TV when I was little, right? Which I am not now. I watch movies and certain shows, but I don't watch TV anymore, right? So I've, I've had my share of TV. So that's where like the English sort of came from and all of that. So. But no, I've not picked up any anything other than a rude word or two watching Cantonese language movies for, for how many years I have. Right, so. right. Pokai. Um, and yeah, the occasional, the occasional uh, name like Milka, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, Deep cuts, my friend. All right, all right. So just a little bit of thought about the future. I mean, uh, 
are you've already got a wide range of content you know so that for any, pretty much anybody who's out there who's interested in asian cinema there's something on the network for them to uh latch on to whether it's hong kong film or, or japanese film or korean cinema is there an area that you're still wrestling with in terms of development do you have are you, are you pretty content with the the lineup as it is or is there something you're considering to maybe move into or to experiment with in the future no i think that's it i mean the final sort of um period to all of this was probably the creation of the golden india podcast because essentially all of the shows that i didn't create like um or, or rather uh, some i didn't create but the shows I did, like This Week in Space, Golden India Podcast, so forth, they, they're my interests, right? It's what I like to pursue. But I also like to work with that interest, meaning I like to be, so to say, creative about it and uh, let voices, uh, rather let movies have a voice that may be super obscure, but they deserve a voice nonetheless. So it stems from... This is my interest. The, the Taiwanese Child of Peach movies that uh, you've also watched. That generally comes from my interest. I want to, so that's uh, that's where it comes from. But I, I I don't think there's anything else that I can sort of like. Oh yeah, that one too. Like I I was a bit cheeky when I was talking to um, another. I was interviewed a while back for another podcast, and uh, uh, the host was suggesting like maybe Thailand. Now I was sort of being cheeky and saying, oh yeah. New show, Thailand on fire. <laughs> but in all honesty, Thai cinema is not something I've pursued a lot where it's started to generate interest in me, right? Mm. Uh, with the Thai cinema action explosion with Tony Jaa, it didn't really interest me. I, I wasn't that impressed, but I understand it. Uh, I've, the Golden Ninja podcast tends to, without going into detail, sometimes uh, cover Thai cinema because the source movies were sometimes Thai and then they inserted Richard Harrison into into the plot and, and the likes. But but no, I, I've, I've never really had... Um, the, the, that's the only area I can think of. Like, well, maybe, but still, it, it doesn't um, generate that, like, buzz within me where I'm like, oh, yeah, that that section of that cinema deserves a voice. So, so I, I think I'm done, Paul. Mm. But uh, never say never, I guess. Indeed, indeed. Well, whatever is lies on the horizon, whether it's new shows or old we will certainly be looking forward to uh, anything that comes out of the podcast on Fire Network. The man, Thanks. the myth, the legend, Kenneth Brorson. Thank you for being here, sir. Thank you for all your inspirational work. Thank you for including me as a you know monotonous, cacophonous Stop voice out in, in the mix. Uh, again, I do uh, greatly enjoy our sessions together. And thank Absolutely. you for coming on and, and uh, you know just sharing some thoughts with us and the rest of the audience out there. And uh, thank you very much and happy 200. And believe me, as a listener, your formula as it stands now, I'm sure you'll uh, evolve it, but uh, the formula as it stands now and our chat almost weekly, news and a movie review really plays out well for someone like me who likes uh, to uh, educate myself a little bit more and find out a little bit more what goes on in a current scene over there in Hong Kong and uh, like news about Hong Kong Chinese cinema. And you guys are my go-to for, uh, for that. So uh, believe me when I say your formula is well set and I'm sure there's places to go with it as well. So well done and happy 200th episode to, to you guys. 
All right, and of course, last but not least, joining me once again in our virtual studio is my good friend and co-host, 200 episodes in, actually more, as we've said, because you know, we d did do those short sort of Blu-ray specials, but this is the officially, in terms of actual episodes, this is our 200th, is Mr. Kevin Ma. Hello, everybody. Hey, happy 200, Paul. Happy 200, sir. Uh, you know, uh, we are centarians doubly so in the podcasting world. That's a pretty good number. I mean, um, I used to, you know, I followed quite a few shows over the years that have pod faded well before they hit the 200 mark. But, you know, there's still other shows that are going on uh, beyond 200. And I hope that with our show, we can continue to do this uh, in the months and years to come, as long as we're happy doing it and we get something out of it. Um, but let, let's talk a little bit about, you know, podcasting and, you know, movies and life in general. I mean, Hong Kong cinema, has it been going down in the past decade? I mean, what, what is your, what, what do you think about, uh, the cinema in general? I mean, we just got finished doing the sort of voting for the Love HK Film Awards, um, just a couple weeks ago. I don't think by the time this is up, the results will have been posted yet, but they should be in process. Um, I, I kind of you know, feel like sometimes that we're watching the fall of Rome. You know, it's like every year there seems to be fewer films. The films, you know, seem to be somewhat less appealing. Um, I don't know. What are your thoughts on the whole, the whole thing, the whole cycle, this whole process that we've been doing since, you know, what is it, 2009, I guess. Well, I mean, well, the thing is, do you remember what was, I don't remember. So do you remember what was the first movie that we did? Uh, I was it over two? I think so. Yes, I believe in that, so. In that case, yeah, it hasn't fallen that much. I mean, we <laughs> started pretty low. <laughs> let's, let's face it. I mean, Hong Kong cinema has been dying way earlier than two thousand and nine, right? Like yeah. it's been dying since um, to probably when I've watched Kung Fu Mahjong Free when I joined the, the movie group. You know, the thing, and, and yeah, Hong Kong cinema has been going down in a really slow trend and. The films are getting worse, and this and we're talking about the Love Hong Kong Film Awards. The second year in a row where I went and voted mostly China movies um, for my top five, just out of you know principle, because those movies are better. The thing is, that's the thing. As many crappy movies that are coming out of China, the good stuff are totally beating Hong Kong movies by like a mile. Yes. So so you know it's sad that Hong Kong and I wouldn't say that Hong Kong cinema has been falling I would say it's been kind of stagnated the way that Japanese economy has and Japanese economy has stagnated for a very very long time um, and that's kind of what watching Hong Kong cinema feels like to me mm. we always get a share of crap and then we get a share of okay solid stuff not top 10 not bottom 10 and a few kind of you know pretty solid stuff that really good films you know, this year with Trevisa and the fact that we're Trevisa this year is sort of already it's already kind of a, a blessing I think it's probably one of the best Hong Kong films I've seen in a long time so you still got very you know talented people making making good films it's just that because there are less films coming out yeah it feels like there are less good films all right so I'm looking back at our first episode the notes are very barren because uh, we have changed the format over the years, but we talked about the films currently playing in Hong Kong, including Overheard, the first one, oh, and wow. On His Majesty's Secret Service. We <laughs> talked Up and Drag Me to Hell. We also talked about the video release Push and something about Chung King Express. 
Right. So the thing is, has launching really gotten much worse or much better since Auto Majesty's Secret Service? No, he's still making the same crap. I, mean, I almost said the S word. But um, yeah, he's still making the same crap. So yes, it's, it's very much stagnated, I think, uh, Hong Kong cinema. And yes, my, my love for it has sort of... Um, um, it hasn't waned, you know. I love Hong Kong cinema just because it is my hometown cinema, and I'm not gonna give it up. Um, just like I said last episode, you know, I sat down and watched Mad Girl with a Big House and League of Gods by myself. You know, like I tweeted that I care about about Hong Kong cinema than my own mental well being because I keep sitting through these movies. Um, so, so um, no, I think as long as there are still people who love it, and there are still you know hope industry of people that rely on it to make a living um i think hong kong cinema will will live it's not going to be super healthy it's not going to be particularly healthy it's going to be like um a a diabetic fat man i guess um <laughs> who's eating too much junk food named, and not enough. named wong jing right <laughs> It, it's just gonna be sort of this 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 weak, feeble thing that's on life support, and it's gonna be on life support for a very long time. You know what can I say? That's that's Hong Kong cinema. But um, in, in terms of my life, and the thing is, this show has seen has sort of lived through so many moments of my life. You talk about two thousand nine. I was still in film school. Yes, indeed. And then it went through my first job, and now my second job, which oh, actually third because you know you count film biz Asia. Um, went through that whole period of Filmbiz Asia. Uh, of course, I, we weren't recording when we were doing Filmbiz when I was at Filmbiz Asia. But um, and then and then now it's um, my second third job. And like I've I said this before, which maybe is one fifty. But I like I said, I don't re- I can't even keep count how many girlfriends I've had since <laughs> we started. <laughs> like somebody's a player. No, it's, it's, it's seven years, right? Like, I don't remember, like, which, yeah, it, anyway, it's, so, so it, it's been, how many seven years do we have in our lives, man? We're like, is, I, I'm 32, and yeah. I started when I was 25, so I, I've lived through my 30s, you know, I lived through half my 20s on this show. Um, so to me, as long as Hong Kong cinema is still around, as long as there are films, we're still watching films, and, and I think I would love to keep doing the show. Excellent, excellent. Yeah, I mean it's been a it's been a good run so far, and it is sad to see the state for me of of where Hong Kong films um, have gone. I mean, I guess you know I, I teach or I have taught classes on change and change management, and the idea that you know change is going to happen. A lot of times it's good, a lot of times it's bad. It's going to happen whether we want it to or not. More important than the change is often how we deal with it. Um, and I know that for a lot of fans out there we think about the nostalgia the glory days of like the late 80s and early 90s or for some it's you know the the 90s and the early 2000s you know everybody's going to have their sort of favorite period uh, of cinema the thing that i think still excites me about hong kong cinema is that every once in a while even in co-productions we'll get these things that tend to knock my socks off a little bit you know, and the most recent one for me was, of course, The Monkey King 2, which, you know, for me looks like something, you know, something that excited me, something that speaks to Chinese culture and presents itself very, very well, you know, um, to the extent where they're, you know, maybe even rivaling some of the productions coming out of Hollywood almost. And they're not just slapping it together. They're not just trying to cash in on a quick butt buck, but they're trying to you know, really um, pr- 
produce a piece of art that uh, people are going to appreciate, people are going to enjoy. And then, of course, we get things like from Vegas to Macau 3. <laughs> and, <laughs> you know, um, so, you know, in one year you can have Andy Lau, you know, spoofing himself, being dancing robots, and we can all get mad because this is, you know, this is supposed to be continuity coming out of a a, a beloved film franchise that, you know, we go back to the, the original film. Um, but we also get Andy Lau doing things like, you know, uh, amazing performances you know, like Lost in Love and, and things like that. So it, there are still surprises out there for me. And I think as long as there are still surprises and things that make me go wow and make me get excited and want to talk about them and, and share them with other people that I'll, I'll still be willing to, you know, get on the airwaves and uh, spout my nonsense in general directions. So, yeah, you know, that's it, 200, and uh, maybe we'll do 200 more. Who knows? Are you ready for another seven years? <laughs> yeah, I don't know how many <laughs> and, more. And, and, and many more girlfriends. <laughs> oh, God, I hope seven years later I'll be I'll be saying I can't record because I have to put my kids to bed, that kind of thing. I, yes, I, I indeed. Hope. Yes, indeed. Yeah, I hope so. Either that or you've got to, you know, put them in front of the TV to watch Girl in the Big House. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> Three. No, but then maybe we have your daughter to sort of do like a kids movie review. Yeah, it's maybe, gonna be awesome. maybe, maybe, yeah. It's going to yeah. be awesome. No, I think that yeah, it's sad that you're leaving Hong Kong and, you're, you know, we're friends and we see each other every week to watch films and stuff like that. And, and it's going to be sad to see see you go. Um, but but the thing is, it's going to be great because we can finally bring back the West Screen aspect of the show. And we can yeah. finally talk about Western films again. Uh, and it'd be great to have someone in America watching the new. Actually, if you're near a big city, you can even watch the Chinese films before us. Yeah, I don't know if that's going to happen. I think that the there there are no cinemas running Chinese films anymore. There used to be. That's how I originally got sort of hooked on Hong Kong films. But I think they've all closed down. But uh, you know, I'm going to do my best. Uh, we've got Yes Asia and some other outlets that are going to you know serve me well uh, to keep up with what's going on. We'll, I'll be back to Hong Kong, and I still have family here. So I mean, I you know Chinese New Year is probably going to be a thing for sure. Um, in, in years to come and my wife and I both are keen to get back into Asia if we possibly can in, in the future um, you know depending on how things go but that's neither here nor there at this point in time so we're just going to ride with it and see what happens and uh, hopefully it'll all work out for the best but until then you know we will continue to try and do our best to bring you shows that entertain that educate or at the very least kill time right and and on a personal note, I have to say that that because doing this show for so many years, I've sort of inspired to to also think about doing my own thing. You know, also kind of recording my own podcast. Remember when I first started my blog? I, well, we haven't met each other yet at the time. When I did my own blog, I actually did like a weekly little really badly recorded podcast uh, on my own. I recorded like a, like a roundup of every week's news. And, I, and I'm sort of into thinking about doing that with Asian cinema news um, nothing that's so there's no overlap between this show and, and, and that show and and because of my experience on this show having done seven years you know, I kind of feel like I have the confidence to do this do one on my own as well and I hope I can finally get time to do it but I, it is because you know I, I, I realize that Paul has done so much of dirty work for the last seven years that it's time for me to start learning how to do my own you know yes podcast work as well so so it, it has i have to say i was inspired i've been inspired uh by you and your work spread your wings little birdie fly enough <laughs> <laughs> all right well thank you sir and we look forward to many more shows in the future
Yep, likewise. Thank you. You're listening to the East Screen, West Screen podcast. Visit Comcast.com for more. Well, that's it. We've heard from uh, quite a few people, and I want to give a big thanks to everybody out there uh, who's listening and all the guests who came on and and chatted with us. Um, You know, it's, again, very inspirational for me to have these kind of people to talk to and to engage on, you know, different levels with the subject matter that I think we all love and we all still feel very passionate about. You have been listening to the East Screen, West Screen podcast. Our theme music was composed by Rob Jabor of Schnauzer Radio Orchestra. Research has come from a variety of sources, but primarily lovehkfilm.com and the Hong Kong Movie Database. Also, let me throw a shout-out to uh, Kenneth's work over at Podcast on Fire, and again, thanks to him for coming on as well. Um, unfortunately, you can't see Tim Young's work because, as we mentioned, he's kind of, you know, that's kind of... Uh, not currently up and available, but we'll keep you appraised if he does uh, return with that to the internet. But if you ever make it to Hong Kong, please do stop by the Hong Kong Film Archive and check out some of his photography. And if you get out to Udine Far East Film Festival, you can try to hook up with him there. Uh, super nice guy and uh, just super knowledgeable and passionate about Hong Kong film as well. Um, if you would like to be part of the show here, though, you can get in touch with us via the website at concast.com. We're over on Twitter, twitter.com slash concast. You can email us, that is eastscreen at gmail.com. And you can get in touch with us via Facebook at East S West S. Uh, of course, all of the guest hosts today, um, as we've mentioned during their sessions, um, each have places you can follow along with the work that they do, and I would urge you to please do so. Um, coming up on our next show... Uh, We're going to have a special guest coming in to talk about League of Gods. Yes, the super CGI spectacular blockbuster um, out of China, but with some Hong Kong money thrown in there and some Hong Kong celebrities as well. And we're going to be speaking with um, special guest Stephen M from the uh, Mofo's Ice Skating Uphill podcast. He's going to be sitting down to talk about this film with me and uh, some of the other work that he does as well. So we'll look forward to that on our next episode. All of that coming up um, on our next episode. So until then, this is the East Screen, West Screen podcast saying we wish you good viewing. Thanks for being with us for 200 episodes and we hope to see you for many, many more. So we'll see you next time. Uh